0: Amen. Well, good morning and happy Palm Sunday to you. I I love Palm Sunday. If there was a t-shirt that had I Heart Palm Sunday, I might actually consider getting it. I I love it. If you're new to Christianity and you're wondering why do we have kids running down the aisles with uh, palm branches and what is this word, Hosanna, that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at this event that we today call Palm Sunday, but what we're doing today is we're commemorating an actual historical event. And we're blessed that there's at least four places where we can get from historical documents. We can find testimony to this event. One of them is what we call the Book of Mark. If you're not familiar with the Bible, the Book of Mark is a first century document. It comes to us by a guy named Mark. We've been looking at his writings for the last, well, this whole series of Lent. And what I encourage you to right now is open up to Mark chapter 11. We're going to look at this historical event in context and I hopefully, you're going to see some things you've never seen before, some things that I had never seen before this week about this event, about the, the context surrounding it. I'm really excited to dive in. Now, before we do, one other thing I want to let you know is, if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one free today. We have copies of them at the table there and also at the table in the back. Um, after the service, why don't you pick one up? If you don't have one, it's absolutely free, a gift to you. Here we go. The Triumphal Entry. What, what this Palm Sunday is about is we're commemorating a time in history when Jesus came Riding into Jerusalem. And here is one of the accounts. When they, Jesus and disciples, drew near to Jerusalem at the Mount of Olives, and that's this mountain overlooking the city, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, go to the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you're going to find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie the colt and bring it. And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it, and we'll send it back here immediately. And then they went away. They found the colt tied at the door in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said, what are you doing untying the colt? And they said what Jesus told them to say, and they let him go. And they brought the colt to Jesus. They threw their cloaks on it. He sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the field. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming of our father, David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem, he went into the temple, and when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. All right, now... I know I'm not the only one in this room because I've talked to so many of you where Palm Sunday resonates at a deep level. Different people have talked. There's been Palm Sundays where they'll find a tear coming down their eye, and sometimes they don't know why. And it feels like it's a lot more than just tradition if you grew up seeing kids in in palms. And I want to present to you that this word, Hosanna, that we sang, that we see in this account, that this is one of our deepest heart cries. And I think there's something within us, if we don't even know it's there, that cries out hosanna. So let's talk a little bit about that word. Now, it's a hard word to translate because there's no direct English equivalent. In fact, there's nothing even really close because it has so much richness to it. You'll see it sometimes translated as save us or save us now, and that's fairly close, but there's so much more richness to it. The Jewish people had been crying hosanna, crying save us, save us now. they have been crying this Prayer, this this word for hundreds and hundreds of years. In fact, they're they're actually singing a portion of a song, a song that was an ancient song that goes even back further than this account, which is 2,000 years old. This is a song that was sung uh, not only when Jesus was approaching the gates of Jerusalem, but it has been a song that was sung when others had approached. And it was a song that was sung for generations. It's a song that was written to celebrate a time when God had saved his people long ago. It's a song that calls on all God's people to praise the Lord for his steadfast love and his deliverance. Now, if you look at the ancient song and you look at all of the lyrics, beyond the Hosanna, blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord, if you look at all the lyrics, there's a point in the song where the people sing, Open to me the gates of righteousness. This is a gate, this is all part of the song, this is a gate of the Lord, and the righteous shall enter it. So they were singing this song generations and generations before this account. They were singing this song as they were entering the gates after God had delivered them, the gates of Jerusalem. Well, as the years went by, this song was sung at what was called the Feast of Tabernacles. This song began to be sung at what was called Passover, And then, if we step out of Matthew for just a second, there's another account of this. It's called the Book of Matthew. And the Book of Matthew hints that Jesus and his disciples sang this same song as the last song before they left the upper room and went to the Mount of of Olives. There's hints that that was happening. There's also hints in the Gospel of Mark that this same song will be sung when Jesus comes back. So it's a fascinating song. And if we had time, I'd love to show you something else about this song. I'd love to go from chapter 11 to chapter 12. In chapter 12, Jesus quotes from the same song when he says, the stone that was rejected has now become the cornerstone. That's the same song. So this is an ancient song. It had deep meaning. It was used in multiple occasions. And today we call the song Psalm 118. Kind of a Abrupt name or whatever. We <laughs> have Psalm 118. Sounds very generic. But verses 26 and 27 contain these words. So this is from that ancient song. And we, these are the, songs, the words that we heard. Save us, O Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So they weren't just shouting something. This was connected to that song. So as Jesus rides into Jerusalem, the people are singing this ancient song of salvation and deliverance. It's a song about the righteous entering through the Jerusalem's gates. And that's not all. They're not just singing this song. They're throwing their cloaks. They're throwing their cloaks on the road. Now, if we were to look at all the Gospels we'd see in the Gospel of John, that's where he mentions the palm branches. And John has a whole host of reasons for mentioning those. We're going to talk about that when we talk about John. But today we're looking at Mark. In Mark's Gospel, which many believe follows the teachings of Peter, Mark's Gospel says, yeah, there are some people cutting branches, some people, but many, it says, were throwing their cloaks. Many, it says in Mark's gospel, were throwing their cloaks on the road. Now, in that time, in that place, you didn't just have your old cloak and your nice cloak, right? You had your cloak. And so you didn't just throw your cloak on a muddy, dusty, rocky road for an animal to walk over it. You didn't do that. And also, the Jewish people, they had a rich history. They're not just going to throw their, their robe down for someone else. They had one God. You don't just throw down your robe for, for anyone. Laying down your cloak was something that a righteous Jew would only do for a king that God anointed. Why do I say that? Because the scriptures got precedence for that. Hundreds of years before this was written. There was a book written that we call Second Kings, and I encourage you, if you're a note taker, write down Second Kings chapter nine, and I would encourage you to look that up and read its entirety. The, the the context brings the richness just alive. But let me just tell you just a little bit about it. In Second Kings chapter nine, there's this account again from Israel history. It's a fascinating account. It's a dark period in Israel's history where there's a corrupt king and his wife who ruled over Israel. And during that dark time, there was a prophet named Elisha, and he saw to it that a new king named Jehu would be anointed. So Elisha sends his person to go get this king anointed. The king is anointed, and look at how the people reacted. This is from 2 Kings chapter 9, starting with verse 12. When Jehu, after this all happened, repeated what was said to him, thus says the Lord, I will anoint you, king over Israel, in haste, Everyone took their garment, they put it under the new king's feet on the bare steps, and then they blew the trumpet and they shouted, Jehu is king. So now tie this into the story we just read. Jesus, he's entering Jerusalem, and it's a dark time. Caesar had set himself up, not just as king, but as God. Roman soldiers occupied the Holy Land. The temple had been compromised. The priesthood had been corrupted. And the people were, without, were like sheep without a shepherd in a dark valley filled with wolves. And here comes Jesus. He arrives at the top of the Mount of Olives. He began his descent towards the gates of Jerusalem. People are shouting lines from Psalm 118 at the top of their lungs. And now they're laying down their what? Their cloaks is you would lay them down for a king. Now, if you were here three weeks ago, there might be a little bell kind of ringing, cloak throwing. Heard that before, cloak throwing. What's that? Well, if you have your Bibles open, let's take a look at the account that came immediately before this, the, the account that came right before it. Now, if you have your Bible open, you're going to notice that there's all these little sections that are divided up. Is your anyone got their Bible yet? There's sections like that? All right, the sections. Does anyone remember from three weeks ago what those sections are called? Pericopes. Thank you. Nine o'clock, it was crickets chirping, man. And I'm like, I'm such a failure. I'm such a failure. Pericopes, yes. Those little sections in the in the Bible, they're called pericopes, all right? So the, this is from the pericope that came right before what we just read. So we just read this. We're going to look now at the pericope that comes immediately before. So we've just read about cloaks being thrown for Jesus. Take a look at this. And let me give you the context really quick. This pericope that comes right before the triumphal entry happens in a little city called Jericho, which was the gateway into Jerusalem. And it was a city called the City of Palms. All right? So they're in Jeru- Jericho. They're heading for Jerusalem. There's this procession with Jesus. And they came to Jericho. As we pick up Mark chapter 10, 7, verse 46. They came to Jericho. And as Jesus was leaving Jericho, With his disciples in a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that this processional included Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped the processional and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take a heart. Jesus is calling you, get up. And what does the blind man do? Throws off his cloak which is a bold move when you're a blind man, isn't it? Throwing off your cloak to go after Jesus with everything. See some similarities between what comes immediately before the triumphal entry and the triumphal entry? You've got the processional. You've got cloak throwing. You've got all of these similar things. You have the son of David. You have have mercy on him. You've got all these parallels. Mark does this. He he, He takes these themes and he weaves them together to add richness to this account and help us to see there's a lot going on here, a lot more than a lot of us just in Sunday school, right, when we saw the story. Now, Mark does even more than just take themes and weave them together. There's also, when scholars have studied this book, you're going to come across these things that they call the Markin' Sandwiches. Markin' Sandwiches. I think Brandon talked about that two weeks ago, Markin' Sandwiches, where what Mark does with one pericope, he does a pericope, And then later on, there's another pericope that is like that one. Either it's the same imagery or a similar story or something where he does one here, he does one over here, and then in the middle, he provides information and teaching and illustrations that bring the whole thing together like a gourmet burger, right? Just brings it all together. Now, scholars often call them the Mark and Sandwiches. It's March, March Madness. Instead of sandwiches, we're going to call it Brackets, All right? We're going to call them brackets today. And I want to show you some really interesting things about these brackets. There's a bracket that ends just where we ended now, right before the triumphal entry. So this is Palm Sunday right here. Everybody tracking with me so far? This is important. It might just feel like, what in the world are you going? Trust me, this is really important and actually very cool. So this is what we just read. Right before this, you've got the bracket. And this bracket, if you're a note taker, I want to encourage you to take out your purple sheet and write this down. There's a, there's a bracket here of blindness and sight. Blind, blindness, and sight. What happens is, in Mark chapter 8, 22 through 26, there's an account. Blind man receives sight, and there's a lot of similarities here between this And blind man receives sight. And in between, there's all these illustrations and all these teachings where you start to recognize Jesus is really trying to help us understand spiritual blindness. And people in various stages of recognizing, wait a minute, he's the one. So there's this really amazing bracketing going on here, blindness and sight. Well, what I want to show you today, a brand new bracket starts right after this account. So you've got bracket, you've got this account, and then a whole new bracket starts Right here. And these two brackets, it's like they're bracketing the account we read today. This is really fascinating as you dig in. It's, there's so much going on here. Blindness and sight. So there's a place to write that in your notes, write it down. And now let's take a look at this next bracket that starts up right after Palm Sunday account. So if you remember, Jesus comes into Jerusalem, rides in, he goes, he checks out the temple, and there's kind of some foreshadowing here. He checks out the temple. And it's late, so he leaves. And now we're going to talk about what happens when he comes back. So, picking up, Mark chapter 11, picking up verse 12. The following day, after Jesus rode into Jerusalem, when they came from Bethany, Jesus was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went out to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to the fig tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And the disciples heard it. So, triumphal entry, he comes in, checks out the temple, goes back, gets up the next morning, he wants something to eat. He comes to a fig tree. He's hungry, but there's no figs on the tree. Did Jesus mistake the tree? No. Jesus knows a fig tree when he sees it. Why? He was there at creation, as we read the whole scripture. He was there at creation. The word says, through him all things were made. So does Jesus know a fig tree when he sees it? Yes. Does he know what a fig tree is supposed to do? Yes. What's a fig tree supposed to produce? Figs. Jesus goes to the fig tree. There's no figs. The fig tree, instead of producing figs, is using all of its God-given resources for itself. So Jesus curses the tree, and the disciples hear it. Now, here's why I'm saying this is a bracket. I'm saying this is a bracket because in Matthew's gospel, it's not. In Matthew's gospel, Matthew just keeps going with the story. And he says what happens. Fig tree gets cursed and, bum, 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 finishes the story. Mark doesn't do that. Mark hits pause. Hits pause on the fig tree story, tells something else, comes back to the conclusion of the fig tree story. Was that on purpose? That's on purpose. So what's Mark doing? Let's take a look. What comes in between fig tree part A, fig tree exciting conclusion. All right, here we go. Picking up with verse 15. Uh, Yes. Okay, so fig tree incidents happens. They came to Jerusalem. And as Jesus now enters the temple he began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for the nations. You, you turned it into a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes, they heard it and they were seeking for a way to do what? What does it say? Destroy. Destroy him. For they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. Now, there's a ton of stuff going on here. One of them is that there's a prophecy being fulfilled here. Pro- Malachi 3.1 says the sovereign Lord will come suddenly into his temple. And when Jesus comes suddenly in the temple, is he happy with what he sees? No. He's not happy. What he sees angers him. And one of the challenges we have here is, again, there's not a direct English translation here between this whole idea of den of robbers or den of thieves and and what these people were doing and what Jesus said. It's not not like Jesus comes in and church has got a little bookstore, but they're charging too much, and he's really mad about that. This is is different. This is different than, than that. One of my sources said it's more about this. It's more about the temple wasn't serving its intended purpose. Sound a little bit like the fig thing here? The temple was not serving its intended purpose. It was not serving as a house of prayer for the nations, for the nations. It wasn't shining as a beacon of God's holiness and his sovereignty. Instead, power was being leveraged for the benefit of the already powerful in the temple. And what was happening inside the temple grounds was being leveraged primarily for the insiders. There was sin. There was corruption. There were actions that were not consistent with God's righteous decrees. So, if we're going to draw from this metaphor of the fig tree, what's going on here is you've got in the temple, you've got a figless fig tree and you've got the Lord coming in and saying, this is a figless fig tree. And then the fig tree decides, we got to destroy the Creator. That's how messed up this is. Do you see why Jesus thought that temple needs to be cleansed? You see this? That temple did need to be cleansed. That's what get Jesus all upset. Now, I want to show you a link that I've never noticed before. Who was the source material besides the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Who was the source material for Mark? It was Peter. Very good. Let's look at what Peter writes. There's a letter from Peter. There's actually a couple of them. Let's look at 1 Peter. Look what Peter writes in one of his letters. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. And Peter makes a connection. He personalizes this. He says this isn't just about a building. This isn't just about those courts. This is about us, you guys. He personalizes this. In addition to what was happening there, he personalized it. So this is Peter, where the teaching came from, from Mark through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, picking up with 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. You, you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, now you've received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourner, as exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they can see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. In the week that followed Palm Sunday, we call it Holy Week, we can see that there were some people whose lives needed to be cleansed because they were going about, like the temple, they were going about their business. In fact, Jesus comes into town, and on Sunday, they're shouting Jesus Messiah, and on Thursday, some of those same voices were betraying Jesus and denying him. And there were others who were shouting Jesus Messiah on Sunday. And on Friday, what might some of those voices have been shouting? Crucify Him. So they were going about what looked like good little Christian actions, Jesus Messiah on Sunday, but there was something not right inside. And it was revealed on Thursday, on Friday. Now, before we get pointing those fingers too far out, as is typical the case when we go into the scriptures. We hold up a mirror and we can see that in ourselves, can't we? Because we just sang Jesus, Messiah. And a lot of us aren't going to make it till Thursday, right? Before we deny Jesus in our actions, before we betray, before we look more like we're walking in darkness instead of light. There's something inside of us that needs also to be cleansed. Here's my N.T. Wright quote of the week. Seems like I've had a lot of those quotes in this series. This one's good. He writes this, and he asks this challenging question and questions. Are we ready? Are we ready to go out of our way to honor Christ, to find in our own lives the equivalents of cloaks, to spread on the road before him, and branches to wave and make his coming into a real festival? Or... Have we so domesticated and trivialized our Christian commitment, our devotion to Jesus himself, that we look on him simply as someone to help us through the various things we want to do anyway, someone to provide us with comforting religious experiences? And then this is an important point. In our world, where most countries, they don't have kings and queens anymore, and those that do, it's not really a big deal, have we forgotten in biblical terms what it really meant? honor a king wow that's good on ash wednesday many of us gathered in this room right here and we said let's try this season of lent to really be serious about the season of lent and there's a whole lot of us who just from that day you know on and off but as best we can from that day on we've been trying to say god examine me where do i need to be cleansed and where do i need to lay down some cloaks you know, cleansing and cloak laying, that's two different things. Cleansing is, God, where where am I walking in, in deliberate disobedience? Where, where am I walking in sin? Where am I doing wrong things? And what a great season here of Lent and right now during Holy Week. What a great time to say, God, where do I need to be cleansed? You know, what, what should I be deleting from my iPod? What should I be deleting from my computer? What should I be throwing out that's just not honoring you? With my lips, gossip, slander. What does not belong there? And saying, God, where am I walking and doing things that are just wrong? Cleanse me. Reveal them to me. And then the cloak throwing, that's different. That's a good thing. And a lot of us, we're doing, we're holding too tightly to too many good things. Why do I know that? Show of hands, how many of you are too busy? Okay, we're doing too many good things, right? I I would imagine, I don't know all of you, but I'd imagine everything you're doing, it's, it's good things. Cloak throwing is about saying, okay, God, of these good things, what would you have me to lay down for you? What would you have me lay down so that I could serve you more fully? This is a holy week. I can't think of a better time for temple cleansing and cloak throwing. And now even as I say that, before the guilt just starts pouring on, let me say this as clearly as I can. In fact, I'm going to say it and I'm going to encourage you to write it down. Right on your sheet here. There's a place to write this down. The ultimate aim of this is not death. The ultimate aim is what? Resurrection. The point of laying things down and cleansing, the point is not, well, God, I'm really, really miserable, so you must be happy. Right? That's not the point. And and maybe you've met Christians like that. Well, God hates everything fun, so I'm not having any fun, so now God must be happy. I'm making sacrifices. God must be happy. No, this isn't about that, is it? This is about laying those things down so that we can have the life that he has for us. It's about the yes, not the no. It's about the resurrection. It's not about the death. The fact that you and I are sinners isn't good news. The fact that you and I fall short of the glory of God, that's not good news. The fact that you and I are by nature objects of wrath like that fig tree is not good news. What's the good news? The good news is that Jesus lived a life that we couldn't live. He died the death that we should have died. He rose again, and he invites us to experience that new life. That is the good news. Can I get an amen? Amen. I want to show you something beautiful that is completely unexpected. We've been talking about the fig tree bracket here, right? The fig tree bracket. I want to show you something beautiful about that fig tree bracket. It began with a fig tree that wasn't doing what a fig tree was created to do. And then Mark gave us, after that, a glimpse into how God feels about unrighteousness. What did he do in the temple? He's throwing tables, right? Well, you don't need to read the spoiler to say this is not going to end well for the fig tree. Jesus was mad at that fig tree. He cursed the fig tree. You may have hit pause in the story. We know what's coming for the fig tree. Uh-oh, what about the rest of us? Because aren't we the fig tree? So if the fig tree is going to get cursed, what's Jesus going to say to us? He's going to say, and you see what happened to that fig tree? You're getting yours too. So, uh-oh. oh so people may be first time hearing this thing as Mark's reading it out loud or Mark sends a letter and the others are reading it out loud they're probably a little bit uh oh I see what's coming here but this bracket it concludes with a shocking invitation let me just read it straight up picking up where we left off is Mark now hit, hits unpause from the story take a look at this Mark chapter 11 verse 20 this is unexpected unless you really know Jesus. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. Saw that coming, didn't you? He cursed the fig tree, withered to the roots. And then Peter remembered and said to Jesus, look, Rabbi, the fig tree you cursed has died and withered. And then Jesus answered him, yep, and you're getting yours tomorrow. You and all y'all, you're, you're just, I'm fire from heaven and you're going to, is that what it says? No, look what Jesus does. He extends an invitation. He, He knows, you know, a person with eyes to see, they already know. Okay, I got it, Jesus. You don't even have to say it. It's like a good parent. We need to know when to not say things too, right? Not just when to say things, but also when to not say things. Sometimes it's a lot more powerful not to say it. Jesus, you saw the fig tree. Yep, that is true. If you keep going your own way, you don't bear fruit. Yep, you will remain under the curse that came in Genesis. Yep, but what does Jesus do? He goes to this invitation. Jesus answered him, Have faith in God. And I say to you, Whoever says to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown to the sea, And does not doubt in his heart, But believes what he says will come to pass, It will be done unto him. That's Jesus, isn't it? Grace and truth. And here's the grace. You have faith in me? Mountains can move. Yep, you got a choice. Curse could be on you still, or you have faith. Mountains can move. You've got another choice. And Jesus extends a shocking invitation to those who have been living fruitless lives. There is a new life waiting for you where mountains move, sins are forgiven, kindness of a savior is extended, death and the grave are conquered. And for those with eyes to see, for those who respond in faithfulness, all Things are possible. Ready to complete some brackets? Let's do it. We already looked at the first bracket that came before the triumphal entry. Blindness and sight. This here that we just looked at, it's a bracket of figs and fruitlessness. That's even a word. Or like that's on the screens there is even better. You can just go with that. Figless and faithful. Huh? How about we go with what I actually wrote the first time? Let's do that. Dangerous things happen when I step away from my notes. Figless and faithful. The purpose, listen to this. Purpose of a March Madness bracket bracket is to determine what? The winning team, isn't it? The whole purpose of the bracket is to determine the winning team. And something's already been leaked. And that's who wins. Who wins? Jesus wins. This just hit me. For the first time, I, I don't know why I've never seen this before. That triumphal entry, was that a historical event? Yes. And it wasn't just a historical event. It was a shadow of what's to come. It was a victory celebration. Jesus is coming in. He's going to cleanse the t- temple for a short period of time. He's going to make all things right. He's going to defeat death in the grave. That was a historical event. And it was a shadow of something that's going to happen when Jesus comes back again. And when Jesus comes back again, this time it's not to cleanse a temple temporarily. It's to defeat sin and death, to cleanse the world once for all. And just as they were singing, they were singing, Hosanna, Lord, save us. There's going to be those who, when that day comes, recognize their Savior, are found faithful, and we are going to rejoice. Isn't that true? We are going to rejoice. Anyone want to be on that winning team when Jesus comes back? Good news keeps getting better. Those who make a sincere decision to join that team, you don't get cut. Why do I say that? Because Peter really should have been cut. Peter, he he made some mistakes on the floor, didn't he, when he got the ball? He he made some big-time mistakes. Did he get cut? Nope. In in the the, the story we're reading, they're all singing, son of David this, son of David that. Let's talk about David. Did David make some mistakes on the floor? Yeah. Did David get cut? No. But there's a big difference between making mistakes on the floor and being on the wrong team. Because Jesus is the only one that has the perfect stats. And because of that, we can join that team. But it is a decision for us to make. And what is Mark doing in these brackets? He's showing, here's the winning team. there's a place to write this in the back of your notes. It's those that have sight. It's those that are faithful. So the faithful follower and those who see the Savior. So let's go back to that slide because I'm just jumping all over the place, Mike. Those who see the Savior, got that on the side here. And those who are faithful followers, those are the people on that winning team. Now this one, I would encourage you to write this down too. I think it's the last blanks to fill in here today. This Holy Week can be a game changer. It absolutely can be a game changer. The word holy means to be set aside for God's purposes. So do you have eyes to see? Are you one of those who are saying, this is the Messiah? And if you sincerely see that, then isn't the right response to say, here's my entire life, God. I lay it all down before you. And these two things work together. The more that God opens your eyes, the more that you find encouragement to walk by faith. The more you walk by faith, what does God do? He opens your eyes even more. So then the more God opens your eyes even further, the more encouraged you are to do it. Walk by faith. And you start to walk by faith and your eyes start to be open. You start to see things that you never saw before. I had one of those moments um, where that happened during Lent. Actually, many moments. Let me tell you about one of them. After, I think it was our Ash Wednesday service, our first service, where we revealed this cross, this beautiful cross, with all these broken pieces. It just represents our brokenness. After the service, Keith Mermel, a guy who walks by faith and has his eyes open, he goes, did you see the angels? I'm kind of like, I'm supposed to say yes, but I didn't, so I better just be <laughs> honest. And, I mean, so I'm kind of like, the angels? So I'll send you a picture. So Next day or the day, or day later or something, he sends me a picture, and this is the picture he sends me of his art shack. And I'm like, that is a really cool art shack. Don't see any angels because he's wise. And He's like, let's build this thing, right? Then he sends me these other pictures the next day, the angels. Let me hit the next, next slide, the angels. And he said, the angels are there, and they are. And I asked Brenda, did you plan the angels? Brittany, did you plan the angels? No. The Holy Spirit worked this out. We've got two angels on this, at least two, two that I saw. Maybe you'll see more. How cool is that, that the Holy Spirit did? And what we're going to do after the service, we'll put this slide back up and you can come up and take a look. God wants to open our eyes to give us sight and then to respond in faith. And one of the other things that my eyes were open to this, um, this Lent was the fact that that song, Mighty to Save, some of you guys know that song? It's a Palm Sunday song. How did I not see that for years and years ever? It's a Palm Sunday song. So I'm looking through this, and I'm like, this song, we got to close with this song because this is a Palm Sunday song. This is our proclamation. This is us not just having our eyes open. This gives us a chance to respond. Look at these lyrics. Look at these lyrics. Everyone needs Compassion a love that's never failing. Let mercy fall on me. I mean, isn't that Peter's life? Isn't that his teaching? This is the brokenness, right? And how cool is it that in that brokenness, there's these angels in the midst. And then it goes on, the song says, everyone needs forgiveness, the kindness of a Savior. The hope of nations. Jesus came for the nations. My, my, my house will be a house of prayer for the nations. All this is coming together. I forgot to mention. the like, Mercy follow me. Isn't that what the blind man said when he, has, when he reached out for Jesus? Then moving on. Savior. He can move the what? The mountains. What happens if we're not figless? The mountains can move. The Savior, he can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. That's the whole anthem. That's the proclamation of Palm Sunday. He's mighty to save. Forever, author of salvation, there when the fig tree was made, when you and I were considered, he rose, he conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. So how does this become true in our lives? We pray this next verse. We don't just sing this verse. We pray this next verse. Take me as you find me. All my fears and failures and fill my life again. I give my life to follow everything I believe in. Now I surrender. Is that a Palm Sunday song or what? So let's proclaim it. And I know we have this little video feed that goes in the lobby. What we're going to do for this song, we're just going to throw open the doors. And I want to encourage you to proclaim this song with all your heart as a personal connection with God. And it's something that might cause the world as we shine our light for the whole world to see. that We're living for something beyond ourselves. So would you pray for me and then let's proclaim this song. Father, please stand if you would. Father, we, we want to come to you now. And Father, we, we don't want to be insincere. We, we don't want to just proclaim some lyrics to a song and then on Monday blatantly deny you. So Lord, we pray that this could be a sincere moment where we offer ourselves fully. We, we open ourselves up to your cleansing. We lay down every cloak and we say, take you as me as you find me. So Lord, may we proclaim who you are. May our shouts of Hosanna through this song ring out through this community center. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.